0: Amen. Well, last week, uh, we're in the middle of a series called Smoke and Mirrors. And uh, if you weren't here last week, we asked an important yet painful question. It's the same question I want us to think about again this morning. What are the current lies the world is feeding you when you look in the mirror? Are you seeing truth or just the smoke of? Deception. So last week we had a a mirror on stage. It's actually my family mirror and it's a mirror I look into a lot and we talked about this idea that there are lies that the world throws at us. that When we look in the mirror, distort our view of who we truly are. And I had this smoke machine up here and it was blowing smoke and trying to cover up, trying to distort the view in the mirror And I got to thinking about it over the week, most of you don't have a smoke machine in your house, right? And so uh, the ominous smoke machine illustration might not hit that strongly, but it just hit me this week. I was getting out of the shower uh, like on Monday or Tuesday, and I noticed something, and it's something that I sometimes forget, in fact, it happens so often that you forget it actually happens. And it's probably probably happened to you this very morning. You get out of the shower, and you go to look at yourself in the mirror, and what do you see? Steam, right? Steam, just covering up the mirror. You might be able to see a little bit of a blob of you, But the fact of the matter is you don't see very well. And depending on, typically for me, depending on how long I stay in the shower and how hot the shower is determines how just blurred out the mirror is going to be. For a lot of us, that's probably a better illustration that we can relate to like with no problem. Because what the world tries to do is it tries to smoke up or steam up the mirror of our soul that God wants us to look through. And we declare that God has truth, that there is truth about our identity that is absolute, that's not debatable, and that's not changing. Absolute truth that is in our life. And thank God that with every lie that the world tries to throw at us, there is a corresponding truth right here, in God's Word, and we're kind of going through this journey together, and it's, it's three words that I want us to think about when we think of our identity. The first word is origin, the second word is existence, and the third word is legacy. Origin, existence, and legacy, and last week we looked at origin. Origin is this, I'm created in the image of God, I'm created male or female, and I'm created at conception in the womb. And if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to go watch that, uh, that sermon next or sometime this next week because that is our origin. That is what God says is true about us in the mirror. Today I want to look at existence. Origin now existence. So if you have your Bibles, turn back to Genesis chapter two. We were in Genesis 1 last week, Genesis chapter 2 today. And uh, I want to just say something that I said last week that was true and it's true of this week. There is no way in one sermon that you can cover everything there is to be said about existence. It's impossible. I'm not attempting to do that today. What I want to do is show you some lies, some current lies and deceptions that you might be getting plagued with when it comes to existence. I know I am. Here's the current lies that we hear. Now, here's the truth. If you were here last week, um, there were moments in our week last week where you could literally hear a pin drop. It was a heavy week. It was a serious week. And, and hopefully every time we present God's word, it's serious. But there was something about last week, and I don't know if you felt this too. I, I know I felt it, where it was just, it, you, it was It was heavy. And I want us to think about this week because this week looks totally different than last week. It's different, but I want to compare it in this kind of analogy. And I want you to think about this, this question I'm going to pose to you. Which is heavier, a thousand pounds of feathers or a thousand pounds of bricks? Think about that for just a minute. Which one's heavier, a thousand pounds of feathers or a thousand pounds? Of bricks? Hopefully you know the answer to this. <laughs> They're the same. A thousand pounds of feathers and a thousand pounds of bricks are the same. But you know what's interesting? They, they function different ways, don't they? Like, like, let's just, this is kind of a morbid illustration, but just think about this for a minute. What if a thousand pounds of bricks just dropped on me right here and now? There's no walking away from that, Right? Like, I'm a goner if that happens, right? Thousand pounds of bricks, hits. I'm a goner. What if a thousand pounds of feathers fell right now in this room? I had some people that were wiser than I am that just happened to be in the hall Wednesday night, and they literally helped me create a mathematical equation for this, because I couldn't Google it. A1,000 pounds of feathers, if it fell in the room right now, it would fill the room from top to bottom back. To front in a heartbeat. And here's what's crazy about if a thousand pounds of feathers just fell on me right now, chances are I probably still wouldn't survive. You know why? I'd be smothered to death. I, I wouldn't be able to find my way out of this place. I would be smothered. And here's what I want you to think about the danger is that we can hear a message like last week and recognize how hard it can hit. And yet totally miss that the stuff talked about this morning may slowly be smothering us. So what do I know about my existence? The first truth that I want to look at is this. I am created with a God-centered purpose. I am created with a God-centered purpose purpose. Genesis 2 gives us, if you look at it, the same account of the creation of man but with different details than Genesis 1. And it says here, the Bible says here in verse 5, when no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. Look at verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Look at why he put him there. To work it and to keep it, to sustain it, to maintain it. God, this, is, this blows my mind how God works. God didn't just create this garden and everything just perfectly grow in perfect harmony. It's kind of interesting God allowed things to grow. In fact, if we go out in the field right now and just let it be, God's going to continue to sustain and maintain. But you know what's going to happen? The grass is just going to keep growing higher. The trees are just going to keep growing bigger and thicker. Why? Because that's the nature of the way God created it. He used Adam to maintain the garden that he created. Now, this is interesting when you think about it. Adam wasn't just laying around eating grapes. I think for some of us, we kind of think that way, don't we? We think that Eden was just this place where Adam's just kicked back and Eve's just dropping grapes into his mouth. I know that's what I think, but here's the truth. That's not what we see in the garden account. There's this misconception, and we hear this in Scripture. We think that work, we think responsibility came because of the fall. That once the fall occurred, that's when the work came. That's not true. Difficult work came then. Work that wears us out came then, but that's not true. Work and responsibility were before the fall. That's why God puts them in the garden To work the garden, to keep it. God gave Adam a reason for his existence, and it was far greater and far bigger than just eating fruit in the garden. He gave him a reason for his existence, He gave him a purpose. And I want to ask this question today for for you to think about What is your reason for existence? What's your purpose? Like, I know that you probably know the the correct answer there. I know that you probably know what it's all about. You see the the, the little point there and you think, well, it's God-sized. It's God-centered. I know you know that here, but what is the reason for your existence? What is your purpose? And really, how are you living that out right here and now? You see, the deception that the world throws at us the first deception that it throws at us about our purpose and our existence is that we should just live for the weekend. Just live for the weekend. And, and really, the person that says this and believes this and acts this way, if we're going to be honest, your purpose is comfort. My purpose is comfort. Some of us live for comfort. We long for the weekend, and we dread Mondays, and I can see it, right, right? we talk that way. It's like, man, I'm so glad it's Friday. Oh, I'm, I'm dreading tomorrow, right? We live for the weekend. Why? Because we are people who love our comforts. Some of you find your comfort in passivity. Passivity. Your dream vacation is for you to sit on a beach somewhere for like eight hours straight on that beach, right? Just sit there and read a book and don't get up. Your comfort is passivity. You like to just relax. And the minute you walk in the door when you get home, your default reaction, those of you that are this person, your default reaction is find a couch somewhere. Come in the door, take the shoes off, and just chill, Just lay down, just shut down, just find comfort in just snoozing, relaxing. And here's the the sad thing about that. If this is you, chances are, even at work, you find yourself taking the path of least resistance with minimal effort. And for some of you, that's really the way you function in life. Whatever the shortest route possible, whatever the easiest way to get this done, whatever the least amount of work I can do, that's me. And you live that life at work and then maybe you come home and you live that life as well. I'm guilty of this. I'm guilty of walking in the door and because of the day, just shutting down. Making myself emotionally unavailable to the people in my home. And it's hard for you to live in the everyday purpose of what God called you to because you would rather just lay down somewhere and let life pass you by. And, And real life for you doesn't really happen unless you're on a vacation or it's the weekend. Others find their comfort in plans. Comfort in plans. Your dream vacation is sitting on a beach somewhere for like five minutes. And then you're like, all right, I'm done with this junk. Let me go find a reef to snorkel. Let me go find a parasail. Like that is your thing. You you get bored sitting there. You find comfort in your plans and what it is that you're doing. When you're not on vacation, you daydream about your next vacation or what you're going to do on the weekend. And your life, your fulfillment comes from when you look at your calendar and you see all of these great plans of the next concert you're going to go to, the next vacation you're going to have, the next weekend away. That is what you find your comfort in. And it's hard for you to live in the everyday purpose of what God's called you to because you're fixated on the future fantasy. And what both groups of us don't realize... Is our ultimate purpose in life is getting totally missed? James 4 talks about this. James 4, 13 says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow to what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? What is your purpose? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The the writer James is basically saying, "Why, why waste such a short life? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. He's talking about those that find their comfort in their plans they, they waste their lives on their plans. And what, the, what James is saying here is, is, hey, it's arrogant to think that you're going to live that long to even get to that vacation or even get to that plan. So don't find your comfort there. Don't find your comfort in that. Instead, look to God and say, Lord, where do you want to take me today? What do you will for my life? Verse 17, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I love the way this is put because it says here, for him it is sin. Meaning there are things that we know we should do. They're not even necessarily sinful or not sinful things, they're just things that we know we should do and yet we don't do them. For us, that's sin. And for those of us who find our comfort in passivity, letting life pass us by, this verse should hit us hard. Because there's times sitting on the couch or sitting somewhere where the thought process is, I know there's something I need to do, something that's probably better than what I'm doing right now. And what the writer of James is saying is, because time is so short, because time is such a precious commodity here on earth, for me to not get up and do what it is the Lord is leading me to do, for me, that is sin. And for you, that is sin. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. God is more interested in your character than your comfort. And now, does this mean we can't ever go vacation? Absolutely not. It Does this mean we can't sit on the couch at some point in the day? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But when it comes to having a purpose in life, doing something for God that's bigger than you, for some of you, man, you want to. You want to do something great for God. You're want your life to count for something. Can I tell you now, your hang-up and my hang-up won't be a lack of experience or a lack of skill or a lack of resources or a lack of opportunity. It won't be a lack of anything. It'll be a love for our comfort that will keep us from this God-centered purpose. The next deception that detours us, that detours our purpose in life, is kind of a funny, it's kind of a play on. And for some of you, you're going to get this immediately. Others that might have to explain it to you. But for some of you, the lie that you keep hearing over and over again almost every day is this. Next episode playing in 15, 14, 13, 12. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you may not. Netflix gives you 15 seconds. 15 seconds between episodes to decide if you're going to do anything with your life today. (laughs) 15 seconds. The autoplay, right? It's just so easy to just slip into that next episode and the next episode. This mindset, this lie that the world is feeding us, it's saying this, that my purpose in life is entertainment. My purpose in life must be entertainment. And entertainment's come a long ways. It used to be one thing, now it's something else. Now, entertainment has become a commitment. It's now a commitment that we have in our lives. Think about it, TV shows. If you're watching a season of it, you're going to commit to watching the whole thing. Not just TV shows, hobbies. Hobbies are now a commitment, right? It's the stuff you got to buy to make the hobby work. It's the time and the energy you got to put into it to make it happen. Sports, the same way, right? It used to be sports was like, you know, if you were playing soccer for a school, you'd play for like a season, right? A small season, a window of time. Now you can do that the entire year. You can play in every sports team you want and literally play through the entire year. Entertainment has become a commitment. And if you want to know if entertainment is your purpose, I want to challenge you to think about this. Think about the conversations you had with people last week. How much of those conversations was dominated and geared around the things that you find entertaining? Did you catch the game last night? Right? I mean, we we do this, right? Right? Entertainment, and, and, and if we're going to be honest, I know I hit on this a lot, and I'm okay with it. Like Jesus talked about things repetitively a lot because he was trying to get the point in. I'm going to do the same thing. You know what the number one source of entertainment is for almost everyone in this room? It's this thing right here. We spend, I, I look this up, we spend more time looking at this than looking into the faces of our spouse, Or our children. More time right here on this. Because it's so engaging. It's so entertainment. Entertaining. Although entertainment has its place, it has replaced for many the purpose you were given from the beginning. For a lot of us, we are watching inspiration instead of experiencing it. We we all watched, or many of us watched, the the LeBron James moment a few weeks ago. And some of you were like, I couldn't care less about that. I I get that. I still think Michael Jordan's the best. But here's, here's the deal. We watched that, and we were inspired by that. And I think the fear for my life, and maybe the fear for your life, is we are so busy watching inspiration that we forget to experience that to experience our own inspiration of what God's trying to do in our own lives. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. What he's saying here is that not everything in my life is beneficial. In fact, he's also saying anything that dominates me is a problem and is sin for my life. Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Look at that phrase again, making the best use of time. How are you spending your time? If entertainment is your purpose in life, that's where the majority of your time is spent. I read this article this week and I thought, man, this is a great gauge to decide and determine if entertainment too important in your life. Here it is. Is entertainment leading you to neglect worshiping your God? Is it leading you to neglect upholding your morals? Like what is it that you're watching on TV and what is it that you're entertaining yourself with? Is it leading you to neglect loving your spouse? Is it leading you to neglect discipling your children? Or is the only conversation your kids have with you like this and looking over with your peripheral into their face? Is entertainment leading you to neglect working your job? Is entertainment leading you to neglect serving your church and serving your neighbor? You see, entertainment is a gift. It's a gift to enjoy, not a God to worship. And for some of us, man, this is this is our purpose in life. It's entertainment. We're already thinking of how we're gonna entertain ourselves today. The third deception that takes us away from purpose is screamed out by every commercial you've ever seen. And it's this, it's this lie you deserve more and better. You deserve more and better. That your purpose may very well just be stuff. My purpose is stuff. Culture tells us we deserve more. So what do we do? We buy more. Americans, The average household has 300,000 items in their house. You have right now in your house, if you're average in our society, you have 300,000 household items in your house right now. That there is a hunger for more that each one of us faces every time we get on Amazon or eBay, every time we walk in Hobby Lobby, every time we drive through a car dealership, and every time we jog through a neighborhood that's nicer than ours, there's this hunger inside of us for more stuff. And many times that desire for more it's masked by a, 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 a wonderful little word that, that masks and covers a multitude of sins. The word is sale. <laughs> it was on sale, Jonathan. I mean, you don't, do you know how much I got this for? Like, you won't believe how cheap I got this. This thing was marked at this. I got it for this. And the fact of the matter is, this is just a word that we use to mask our materialism. It's a word we use to mask this purpose we have in life for just more stuff. And if it's not something new, our culture screams, you need something better. You need a better car that that has, you know, auto drive on it. Or you need a better car that has lane departure. It lets you know when you you go out of the lane you're supposed to be. You need a better house. This house is too small for you. This house is outdated. You need a better house. You need a better phone. I mean, my phone has one, two, three cameras on it. But I need a phone with four cameras on it. You need better devices. You need better furniture. Now, and here's what I'm trying to say to you. We all have times where we got to upgrade, right? Like, that does happen. In fact, the other week, we, we did this. We, we got a better piece of furniture. You know why? Because literally, my four-year-old's head got stuck in the couch. It has this... <laughs> y'all think I'm lying. The hole that was in our couch from our kids jumping on it was almost this size. And he got stuck in it. And we've had it like that for about a year. And we finally decided to get another piece of furniture. And when when it happened, my mom walked in and literally gave me an ovation. (laughs) But here's what's true. Even though that was a necessary purchase for us, here's what's true. I spend so much mental energy dreaming searching, and even buying the thing that I needed or that I was using to replace. And we do the same thing. We spend so much mental energy dreaming, searching, and buying all the stuff that we think will satisfy us, all while distracting us from our purpose. Inflation rate right now is the highest it's been since the 80s. Do you think that stopped our spending? Heck no. In fact, you can read article after article right now of economists saying, it's interesting because the inflation rate is this high, yet it hasn't stopped our spending. This can have consequences. Let's be honest. So many of us are in debt right now. So many of us. And and I understand life sneaks up on you. There's times in life where, you know, you're driving your vehicle and it breaks. And then you call your wife and she says, hey, guess what? My vehicle just broke too. Yay. I I get that. There's times where life sneaks up on us. But let's be honest. Most of our debt boils down to the house we can't afford, the car we can't afford, the entertainments we can't afford, the stuff we can't afford. You see, debt is typically a sign that our purpose in life is stuff. Jesus said in Luke 12:15, and Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness, beware of wanting too much. For one's life, one's existence, one's purpose does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Hebrews 13:5 says, keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. Why? For he has said, because he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Look at how how God's putting this together. He's saying, hey, be content, don't chase the stuff. Why? Because I'm with you. He's saying our source of contentment is never found in stuff. It's found in a Savior. People who are satisfied only with the things that money can buy are in great danger of losing the things that money cannot buy. Namely, a purpose-filled existence. I'm not only created with a God-centered purpose, but the second truth I want to talk about briefly this morning is I'm created for an others-focused community. I'm created with a God-centered purpose, and I'm also created for an others-focused community. Look back in Genesis In Genesis 1 through 2, you have the creation account. And in this point, there's no sin that has entered the world. In fact, after almost everything that God creates, he says the phrase, and it was good. And he saw that it was good. You see this phrase time and time again in the Genesis account. And then you get to Genesis 2.18, and you find the first thing that God points out that is not good. And what's crazy is sin hasn't even shown up yet. Sin's not even in the picture yet. Look at what he says is not good. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now this has incredible implications on what biblical marriage looks like. And actually next week we're going to talk about that. But there is a universal truth here I don't want us to miss this week. It's this. It's not good to be alone. It's not good to be alone. I'm not talking about marriage right now. I'm talking about just as a human being. And some of you are like, well, I'm an introvert, so I love being alone. I get that. But what God is showing us here is it's not good to live life alone. That from the very start, God places enormous value on community. And the deception that's out there and that's prevalent in our world right now is this phrase, you do you and I'll do me. You do you and I'll do me. You do what you want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. Mind your business. You're going to do it that way. I'm going to do it this way and we're going to be cool. And here's the thing, if you don't mind your business... If you don't do what's cool, I'm just going to cancel you. I'm going to just cancel you. We are living in one of the most divisive and polarizing cultures we've ever been in. We cancel people at the drop of a hat. And the equation we use is they hurt me equals cancel them. I hurt them, come on man, give me a break. This is the equation that we use in our our, our relationships. They hurt me, I'm canceling them. I'm writing them off. They're dead to me. I hurt them, come on man, give me a break. I'm only human. We maximize the hurt they caused us and we minimize any hurt we caused them. This is not the way God designed it. We weren't created to be independent, autonomous, or self-sufficient. Our lives were designed to be a community project. But the foolishness of sin tells us that we have all that we need within ourselves. So we settle for relationships that never go beneath the casual. And for some of you, you're living your life like this. That... You've been heard in one or two relationships in your life and you're just deciding, you know what, I'm just going to be casual with everyone. It's not the way God designed you. Though our culture tells us that we can do life on our own, God's Word tells us that that we simply can't function without one another. Time and time again in Scripture you see this. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, and let us consider, let us evaluate, let us think about How to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. There's this future day coming when we will return like it was in the garden. And what Jesus is saying here through the writer of Hebrews is this. Go ahead and start acting like it's going to be when we get to the garden. Go ahead and start living out this idea of community, stirring up one another in love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. That's not just a church thing. We've used that all the time for church, and it's absolutely true for that. But it's so much more beyond that. It's living life in community with one another. There's a wise sage that works here at our church named Gary Marburger this is one of my favorite things that he says and I I remember when he told me this over a decade ago and it still sticks with me hold on to things with an open hand hold on to people with a closed hand Hold on to things, hold on to entertainment, hold on to com- comfort and stuff with an open hand. Meaning, God, if you need to take that, just go ahead and take it. I'm not really that attached to it anyway. But hold on to people with a closed hand. Not canceling them. Instead, loving them and not letting them go. I want to I shift gears here for our last little bit together. I, uh, I came across this article in doing some research for this message, and honestly, it really kind of hit me as just something that's, that you just need to hear. And you can make up your own conclusions for what this is. I'm not trying to tell you what it is. I'm going to just tell you what this person says that I think is telling. This is not a believer. This person's not a believer uh, that I know of. But social psychologist Dr. Gene Twing has been doing long-term research on depression and anxiety with information dating back to 1935. She discovered that rates of depression and anxiety have steadily increased over the last 88 years. Anxiety and depression rates, this kind of blows your mind, are higher now than they were during the Great Depression. They're higher now than they were during the racial segregation that we experienced. They're higher now than World War II, the Vietnam War, where there's drafts. It's higher than the Korean, the Gulf War, any war. They're higher than any economic downturn we've ever experienced over the last century. Any war, they're higher than genocides that have happened all over our world. And here's the thing nothing should take away from those hardships. I'm not trying to belittle any of those hardships and suffering. Those were real pain and real suffering back then, truly. But here's the question I want to ask you Why are the depression and anxiety rates higher now than any other time in the recorded century? We have more comfort, we have more stuff. We have more entertainment than any other time in history. It's easier to have access to people. I can contact someone on the other side of the world in Nepal with just doing this. Why is it that the depression and anxiety rates are so high? This is what the psychologist concluded. Two things. The two primary reasons. Primary. Lack of purpose. Lack of community. The very things that we're talking about this morning. These were her, her observations over the period of a century. But why is that? What do you see in the mirror? Is your identity based on God's word or what the world says? When you look in the mirror of your soul, what is it that you see? What is it? What are the lies that the enemy and this world are trying to bombard you with? For so many, the meaning of identity and existence boils down to this. Go to school. Get a job. Get married. Make money. Have kids. Buy things. Things break or we get tired of them. Buy new and better things. Save money to retire, then retire. Play it safe with relationships. Don't get too close to people because they will hurt you. And if they do, just cancel them. That's the easiest fix. And along the way of this life, along the entire way of this life, entertain yourself as much as you can through weekends, vacations, TV, and toys. And watch as the thousand pounds of feathers smothers you to death. The truth is, you are created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Through the loving environment of community, you are created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That life is more than just this little time here on earth. We have an eternity together. And it's not just going to be us and God, me and God. It's going to be me, God, and you guys. I want my life to count for something. Something bigger than weekends and vacations. Some of us have have seen this. Maybe you've seen this in the news recently, but there's uh, really a revival breaking out in Asbury right now. They're at that college. And I've just been fascinated with what God's been doing there. I think they're 11 days in right now from from what I can tell. And and you can read article after article about this. And the noted thing that everyone keeps talking about is this break from the normal, mediocre life that they're living. Like instead of the, the, the idea and the ideal and the purpose being about comfort or entertainment... Or any of these other things or stuff, their, their, their focus truly is on Christ. Their focus is on repenting from the things, the sin in their life, the little feathers in their life. Their focus is repenting from that and turning back to God. And man, I, I just gotta tell you, I know, I know people that are going there right now, which is awesome. I think, I, I'll be honest, I kinda wanna go. But revival is not a place. It's a purpose. It's, this, it's us recognizing this God-centered purpose that we have. It's us recognizing that we're doing this others-focused community with other people. Our greatest fear as individuals and as a church should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. That don't have a God-centered purpose and an others-focused community. I'm going to ask you to go ahead and bow your heads and close your eyes. Where are you at today? You know, last week we we talked about some very hard-hitting stuff. And maybe you felt the weight of that thousand pounds of bricks last week. But maybe it's the feathers that are smothering you. Maybe it's this meaningless existence that you're living out. Just waiting for the next TV show. Waiting for the next iPhone. Waiting for the next vacation. God has so much more for your life than that. And it doesn't matter if you're a college student in the room or a retiree. God has more for your life than what the world is trying to tell you to settle for. So I'm going to just invite you in this moment. We're going to sing here in just a second. I don't know where God has you. But during this worship time, I just want to invite you just to pray and just say, Lord, is this, is this what you want for me? Am I living out a God-centered existence right now? Or am I just living for myself? Am I inviting others into my life, into the process of my life right now? Or am I holding everybody at arm's length? I don't know where you're at. The altar's gonna be open. You got two sides of stairs over here. You can come kneel here at the altar if you'd like. Or just stand and sing or or pray and sing. Whatever God has for you, I I wanna invite you to stand as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to hear your word. God, we just need refocusing. Lord, I need refocusing. Lord, I don't want my life to be be just involved in such petty things, Lord. God, thank you for entertainment. Thank you for comfort. Thank you for... The stuff that that you've provided for us to live our lives. But God, there is so much more than that, Lord. God, forgive me of the times that I've made those things idols and gods in my life, Lord. God, you're the only one I want to follow. You're the only one that's going to bring any meaning and purpose and ultimate satisfaction in my life. And Lord, that's true for each one of us in this room. So Father, help us to turn to you, Lord. Help us to start revival in our hearts first, Lord. God, that you would do a work in and through us, Father. Lord, thank you, God, for giving us our existence. Thank you, God, for giving us something that is meaningful. Lord, help us to pursue it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and see.